Welcome. This is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. We want to thank you for taking time to listen to our Sun, Salt, and Light broadcast. We want you to know and grow in the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and the light. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this broadcast. We simply teach the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we believe that God changes a life one verse at a time. I'd like to personally invite you out to come and see the church. Uh, it is a very casual atmosphere, and uh, but we do take the Word of God very seriously. We meet in a non-traditional church building. We actually meet at the BFW 3966 in Divine, Texas. It's located at 211 West College Avenue, big white building right next to the post office. Our service times are on Sunday when we go through the New Testament uh, at 10 a.m. and then on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. we go through the Old Testament. Uh, we have children's ministry available for both services and if you need to get more information on the church you can go to calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bible ready today we'll be in the book of Mark chapter 15 verses 21 through 32 as we continue our verse by verse study through the book of Mark. Today the title of this sermon is the King of the Jews. This is the first half of a two-part study. Last week we finished up as we looked at the we we looked at two one religious trial one civil trial and then this week uh, we know that that as we finish those scriptures Jesus was scourged and set for crucifixion um, and and as we get into that we have to remember every decision that Jesus is making is to be obedient to the Father everything that he's doing it is love in action it is sacrificial love uh, that he's doing this is the only way that our sin can be paid for is by him going to the cross and so as we read this I think one of the biggest things that we need to understand is you're going to see so many people that have to make decisions about Christ today and they make the wrong one the Roman soldiers the people that come by mocking him the religious leaders all make the wrong decision and then eventually a thief on a cross he has two next to him, but one of them decides he wants to continue to revile and, and deride Jesus to the very end. And we know that Pilate's already made his decision about Jesus. And so for us, we remember in John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So we have to make a choice. So as we get into the cross today, one of the things that I want to make sure that we do understand is we are going to look at the brutality the ugliness and the pain of the cross but there's also beauty and love and victory of the cross and the last thing that I want to do and I want to make sure you get this is I do not want to spark an emotional response from you because a lot of times what happens is we'll read about the cross and it, it you get an emotional response and you make that emotional response and go, I need to go back and follow Christ. But then you do it for a week or two and then you're back doing the same thing. See, we need to make our decisions based on not emotions and feelings, but based on what is right in the eyes of God. Right? What is right in the eyes of God? So let's look at our first part is chosen to carry his cross in verses 21 through 22. And they compelled a passerby. Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. Now, to be compelled in the Greek actually means to be pressed into public service, but I like the way that Luke puts it in Luke 23, verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one named Simon of Cyrene. 
And so to seize in the Greek actually means to take possession of or to overtake and obtain. So he didn't have a choice. He was pressed into service, he was compelled into service, and he was seized. And at the same time, one of the things that we do have to understand is that when we look at this piece of Scripture, Jesus is most likely, I know that most of the movies have him carrying a cross. When they crucified somebody, they would be carrying the cross beam, just the beam, with his hands tied to it, and it weighed about 100 pounds. And that's what he would have been carrying. Now, the other part of this is to understand that he was scourged. Now, to be scourged is to have your back and your legs beaten like hamburger meat until it's exposed and the bones, in some cases, start showing up. And that is pressing against his back as he's trying to walk to, because they made everybody who was crucified walk to the place of the skull to be crucified. Most people did not survive the scourging because of the blood loss. You'll find out as we dive into the, the part of crucifixion, crucifixion doesn't require a lot of blood loss. It actually, you drown in your lungs. That's how you die. But, you know, here we see that he's carrying that crossbeam. So he grabs Simon of Cyrene, who was from the country, and laid on him a cross to carry it behind, uh, behind Jesus. And so now, who is Simon of Cyrene? So we know Cyrene is actually modern-day Libya. And it's actually in the northern coast of Africa. And the way that, that Mark puts this, because he not only tells us about Simon of Cyrene, but he also says there's the father, Alexander, and Rufus to carry, carry his cross. Like we're supposed to know them. And that, that's a, a, a great point that's put here, is Mark puts this in here as if they would have known them. The early church would have known them. And we know that the Apostle Paul actually talks about a Rufus in, in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Because he says, great Rufus chosen in the Lord. And also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. And so as we read this, we, we read this as if, as if Mark wants us to know, like y'all should know them, right? But he tells them that they, they were, Simon was compelled to carry that cross. One of the things that we do know is that Simon is picked for a specific reason. Simon was a foreigner, right? If, if the Romans would have picked a Jew, it would have done what? Caused a riot. Because a, a, a Jew would not have carried that cross. So he picks a foreigner on purpose. And we need to remember that at some point, Jesus invites us to take up our cross as well. And that's something that, that man, I... I in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone could come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Are you doing that? Are you dying to yourself? Are you picking up the cross and following Jesus? Because he's asking every one of us to do this. Every one of us are being asked to do this. In verse 22, it says, and they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Did you get that part? They brought him. So not only is Simon helping carrying the crossbeam, but they're helping carrying Jesus now at this point. He's exhausted. He's been, he's been with no sleep. He's been tortured, beaten, and then he's trying to physically go up a hill carrying a 100-pound beam, and he's exhausted. He can't go any further. Golgotha, you know, it tells us it is the place of the skull, but this is where we get our Latin word, Calvary. And I remember back when uh, Levi Lesko... 
started the church at Fresh Life in, in Montana. They had a thing that they would do on Friday nights for young adults called the uh, Skull Church. And people lost their minds. All they were doing was teaching the Word of God. But because he used Skull Church, <laughs> they lost their mind. I'm like, he, he took it from the place of the skull. He spent more time explaining that than he did. And, and Levi came out of Skip's church, Skip Isaacs. And, and doing, I mean, he's a great teacher of the Word and has reached this younger generation in a mighty way. But, we, we, you know, it's in the Bible, and, but we get upset over simple things like that. So verse 23 through 27, we'll look at casting lots, crucified, and charges read. And it says in verse, tw uh, in, in verse 27, as they offered him uh, mixed with myrrh, uh, but he did not take it. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 23. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now, myrrh actually was considered a narcotic at the time. So anybody who thinks they didn't have that stuff back in those days is... And, and whenever I read this, man, the first thing I think of is my bad. I think of all the stuff that happened in the early 2000s when everybody was sipping syrup. They put it in some kind of drink to give them that narcotic high, and that's what they would drink. People were dying from it. But the reason why they're trying to give this to Jesus is because they need to deaden the nerves. That's what the myrrh did. It was actually a narcotic. It would actually deaden the nerves. So when they drive the, the five to seven inch nails into him it won't hurt as bad and we know in scripture the prophecy tells us that he's not going to do this in psalm 69 verse 21 it says they gave him poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink and he would not drink it and it's funny because this prophecy is fulfilled and it's also covered in matthew chapter 27 verse 34 and luke chapter 23 verse 36 and in john chapter 19 verses 28 through 30 and it, it's one of those things when you read, you go, man, this is, again, you're going to see prophecy after prophecy fulfilled here as we get down into it. And so anybody who says that Jesus is not real, that there were no prophecies, that, were, that the Bible's a lie, they, they just need to read the Bible. Most of the times when people say that, they're just not willing to deal with their sin. There are going to be times when people have questions and we need to sit down with them and help them answer them and show them. But a lot of times what happens is people are not ready to deal with their sin, so they try to argue and disprove something when we can show that it's true. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what uh, each should take. Again, this is another piece of prophecy that's being fulfilled. Now, Mark is written to a Roman audience, so when we see him just saying they crucified him, Remember that crucifixion was something that the Romans were very used to. It was, it was done on public display. Okay? That's what Caesar would use. When somebody was a thief or a murderer, or they did something that was, that was against the government of Rome, they would be crucified. And they would be put in a public square being crucified. So you would see them coming into the city. But we see that they're casting lots, and that goes back to Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18. It says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I count all of my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divided my garments among, me, among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. David wrote that some 1,000 years before this happens. 
A thousand years before Jesus is crucified, this is when this is written. Some 400 years before crucifixion is even invented. And yet David writes this and this prophecy is being fulfilled. And crucifixion was not something that was invented by the Romans. It was actually perfected by the Romans. And we see them gambling over his robes. And you go, this is, why would you even include this? Because this was part of the prophecy that was being fulfilled. Sadly, we see it in John chapter 19, verses 23 through 25. And as they're divvying up the, the garments of Jesus, they're doing this in front of his mother. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill scripture, which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross, Jesus uh, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, with the wife Clopas and Mary Magdalene. All of this is happening in front of Jesus' mom. They're gambling for his tunic. If you read further in John 19, verse 26, it says, When Jesus saw his mother and disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which is John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, something that's very unique in that scripture is as all of this is happening and Jesus is hanging on the cross or being crucified and his garments are being divided up, why did Jesus leave his mom with John? He's not even the biological son, right? Have you ever asked that question? You know why? Because John was a follower of Christ. He knew that he was going to take care of her the way that Jesus would take care of her. Sometimes when we look at that, it just breaks my heart, one, that a mom would have to sit and watch her son be tortured, but at the same time to watch men gamble for his stuff, and he's not even dead yet. And then she has to have her son from the cross who cares so deeply for his mother. Make sure you take care of mom. And where were the, the brothers of Jesus? They weren't even believers yet. So he makes sure that John's going to be the one that cares for him. Verse 25, it said, In the third hour when they crucified him, which is 9 a.m., and John uses just a small number, uh, I mean, Mark uses just a small number of words. And again, he just goes, hey, they crucified him. Because look, the Roman audience didn't need to know a, a detailed list of what happens with crucifixion. They've grown up with it, they've seen it, they know what it is. And that's who Mark is writing to. For us, as we look at crucifixion, we have to remember that it is one of the most disgraceful, most cruel, most humiliating uh, ways of death that the Roman Empire would use. And they would use it for slaves, for foreigners, for revolutionaries, for criminals, but they wouldn't use it for the Roman citizen. Only if a soldier deserted, that's when they would use it for the soldier. That'd be the only time a Roman citizen would be crucified. Jesus is killed publicly. He's disfigured. He's disrobed. He's humiliated. At this point, he's already dealing with blood loss, struggling with, with respiration from the scourging, from trying to carry a 100-pound cross as it rakes across his back. 
You know, one of the things it says in Isaiah 52, 14, it says that as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his, his form beyond that of children of mankind. He was unrecognizable at this point. That's how badly he had been beaten. Remember, they had tied him up. They had uh, blindfolded him, and they were randomly punching him in the face, saying, Who's pro- who prophesied who hit you? And he was scourged, spit on, mocked. And now he heads in for crucifixion as the nails are driven into his hands, or the wrist, actually. And they don't actually hit a major artery. That's why it's not that bloody. They know exactly how to do this and where that five to seven inch nail needs to go through as they get one wrist and then the other. Remember, he didn't take anything. He didn't take the narcotic. That's going through the bone, through the nerves, and he's dealing with multiple types of pain. Not just joint pain or muscle pain. It is nerve pain. It's excruciating. And then they take the left foot and press it backward against the right foot. And both feet extended uh, with toes down. And they drive the nail in, leaving the knees moderately flexed right on the top of the foot. In between. So it doesn't hit any any arteries. Not going to bleed out that way. They leave a little flex in there because that's how he's going to need to breathe. And now the victim's crucified. And he begins to slowly sag down with more weight on his nails as they pull down on the wrist. The pain shoots along the fingers, down the legs, and explodes in the brain. He pushes himself upward to try to breathe. And every time he does that, something's tearing. And then when he does get to push, he's raking his back that's been exposed by the scourging across the wooden cross. And that's not going to deal with just the, the fatigue that he's already having, the, the cramps that are already going to start in the muscles because of the blood loss, the nodding, the throbbing, and just that, that little push of pushing yourself upward to grasp any kind of breath that you can get. Because you're struggling to breathe. And Jesus would fight to raise himself up as his body's filling with carbon dioxide and the lungs begin to fill up. Cramps continue. And every time he needs to breathe, he has to push up. There is a great video on this called uh, Scientists for Jesus that actually explains the scourging, that actually explains the... uh, the whole process, including the two-inch, because we didn't even talk about the two-inch thorns. As the crown of thorn is driven into the head, this is, this is actually, uh, the doctor was saying this part of the, the head is, bleeds easier than anything. And those were two-inch thorns that are driven down into his head. And, and Mark just gingerly writes, they crucified him, right? But that's how, how much the Roman audience would have already known that already. In John 19.34 it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. You, you, you drown. Your lungs fill up and you drown. And yet all of this is done to pay the sin that we have. He did that because he loves you. And let me tell you, there are a lot of kids that don't know that they're loved, that don't know they're valued that don't know what it's like to tell them, hey, man, you're, just to sit there and talk with them and, and, and encourage them. 
And he paid the sin. That debt's been paid. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his, in, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now when you read that, the thing that I want is not for you to have an emotional response, but to ask yourself, am I actually living for Christ knowing that he did all of that for me? This is why it's important for Christians to visit the cross. They forget. They forget what Christ suffered, what Christ sacrificed through Christ's obedience to the Father, what he did for you. So live your life accordingly. We, we have freedom in Christ because he died for us. Live for him. Die to self and pick up your cross and follow him. Verse 26, it says in the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And so that is a, a messianic term that's there and also a term for political implications. The king of Israel was always anointed with oil. And one of the things I first thought of is the covenant of David. And this is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Back in Zechariah verses 9 9, it talks about the king. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on uh, the fowl of a donkey. And we know that was Jesus through the triumphal entry. The king. The same king in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, that talked about the kingdom of God is at hand. The same king who's saying the kingdom of God is at hand and I'm the king of kings. Don't miss that. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. These were the same people that as he comes in on that fowl, on that donkey, that were screaming out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Messianic term, the king of the Jews. Fulfilled through Jesus Christ. In verse 27, and they crucified him, or crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And we know that that in, in Luke chapter 23, verses 32, it talks about two others who were cr criminals were led away to uh, be put to death with them. And we know that uh, as, we, as we look at that, and I'll get into that a little bit further as we go down, that there's this argument that happens between the two criminals. And as we see, we see that the Romans have already had, the soldiers are dividing lots and they're gambling and they've made their decision about Christ. And eventually one of these criminals is going to make his decision about Christ and we'll look at that. The question is, is why wasn't verse 28 in my translation? Right, if you have an English standard version, it kind of just skips it. It goes 27, 29. Now remember what I told you, sometimes when it does that, the translator, when he looks at it, he's actually looking at it and going, everything that we need to say is in this verse. It covers it. You're just kind of repeating yourself. But Mark chapter 28, uh, 15, verse 28 in the New King James says so that scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And so they, they uh, on the older text where I, I normally use the New King James, so I don't run into a lot of these problems, but they're there. It happens. I mean, whatever translation works for you, whether it's the New Living Translation or the English Standard Version Translation, but you, you need to ask those questions when it comes up. Why did it skip that verse? Don't just skip it and go, well, 28 is not there. I'm going to just keep moving. You need to know the answer. It goes back to Isaiah 53, verse 12. 
It says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with transgressors. Numbers with the transgressors, yet he bore sin of many and makes uh, intercession for the transgressors. So they're actually, as, as it's in the New King James, they're actually just quoting Isaiah 53, 12 is what they're quoting. And we know that the criminal, one of the criminals does, does rail against Jesus because it tells us that in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hung, uh, hanged, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. But the other rebuked him, saying, do, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeedly justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our, of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. You have a conversation happening while, these, while Jesus and these two men are all crucified, and one of them is still to the, to the very last breath, his very, very last breath is still railing against God, against the Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And remember, Barabbas probably would have been up here. He should have been crucified, but he was set free, guilty, just like we are. And this criminal had made his decision about Jesus. The other criminal says in, in verse 43 of Luke, in verse 23, verse 43, it says, And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He says, And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into the kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And finally we see the cynics mock Christ in verses 29 through 32. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days derided that word actually derided is probably not a word we use every day right that was the first thing when i was looking at this i was like i don't think i've used the word derided in my lifetime and and what it means it means to actually hurl abuses at someone in false statements so when you deride after someone you're hurling abuses and false statements at them that's what it means in the greek these people are just walking by and, and, they're, and they're hurling abuses at Christ. But we know that was, again, prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. In Psalm 22, verse 7, it says, All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. They are hurling abuses at Jesus. And they hurled the abuse that, well, you said you could raise the temple. Sadly, they missed what he was talking about. Because he is going to die. We'll look at that next week, and we'll look at the resurrection as well. But what they're doing is they're actually rejecting his deity. They're, they're just hurling abuses at him, and it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. And you know, there are people that do this today. They get upset when you start talking about God. It happens. But I'm not going to stop talking about God. Right now, our, our culture is trying to define our culture is being defined by the devil. But the church is actually supposed to see God's word define the culture. We have God's word, and that's what we live by. And so guess what? At some point, somebody's going to hurl abuses at you as a follower of Christ. Just be prepared for it. It's going to happen. They're going to deride on you. They're going to hurl abuses at you. I don't believe in your Jesus. They'll do all that stuff. It happens. Just be prepared for it. 
And as we, if, if we continue down this road, and I'm going to tell you what, early voting's open. Y'all need to go vote. I went to Somerset. I got in and out of there within five minutes. Boom, boom. I was done. But what scares me is people think, oh, we got this in the bag already, and you're not going to go vote. Go vote. How do you vote? You read your Bible, and you vote. Okay? The Bible tells you if you have biblical worldview, you have a biblical way of thinking, you know how you're supposed to vote. And unfortunately, so many Christians made voting based on their emotions and feelings this last presidential race. And I'll just bluntly say that. You vote based on God's word, okay? That's simple. And guess what? People will taunt you and deride you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I would like to thank you for taking time to listen to our broadcast. This is uh, Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. If you're someone like me who is, uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Audible, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, just type in Calvary Chapel uh, Divine and you'll, you'll be able to track us down. And lastly, I just wanted to invite you out to church. Uh, we are a casual church that meets in a non-traditional building, uh, meaning that we meet at the VFW 3966 on West College Avenue, big white building right next to the the post office. Uh, If you want to get more information about our church, if you need to ask uh, some questions or you even need prayer, just go to calvarydivine.org. And uh, we want to thank you again just for listening to this broadcast of Calvary Chapel Divine Texas, Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. God bless you. Have a good one.